Short week, short turnaround for the Iowa Hawkeyes, but they are going to be back in action on Friday night at 7 p.m. Central on Fox Sports 1. David Eichholz, Sean Bach, part of the Swarmcast 24-7 Sports. Uh, Sean, really kind of, I think, pointless to really dive into Colorado State just because it, enough time has passed. And, you know, it, it was one of those games where I feel like it was kind of tough to take too much away, to be honest with you, uh, outside the deep passing game and a couple maybe minor things. Uh, so let's dive right into Maryland. Maryland right now, 4-0. Their offense, I think, has been explosive. I think uh, Tagovailoa has been the best quarterback in the Big Ten outside. I know people kind of want to uh, not really – they're not big fans of C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. I still think he's going to be a phenomenal quarterback. But Tagovailoa, what he's done through the air, what the receivers have done. I mean, this is going to be, I think, a really, really fun matchup between their wide receivers and their passing offense and Iowa secondary, which in all reality has not given up too many big plays this season. Yeah, and this is an offense, too, for Maryland that can kind of beat you deep or, you know, beat you in the short game or the mid game. So they can kind of beat you all over. Two is a guy that can move around – or Talia is a po- is a guy that can move you can move around in the pocket a bit, make some throws on the run. But, I mean, his real presence as a pocket passer is um, really impressive. And, you know, that's that's something that I was going to have to contain and, you know, have to, you know, stay, stay up to par and be able to – you know, watch him because that's going to be that's going to be a main focus in this game because he can he can put the ball down the field. And, you know, with the way that their run game has, you know, not been as good as it was last year with Jake Funk. Um, it's going to be it's going to be something that Iowa has to contain is that pass game, because if it does, then I think they'll be in they'll be in good shape. Yeah, I mean, I think a guy that really stands out to me on film, though, I think Rakeem Jarrett's going to be a Big Ten threat for for years. I'm a big fan of him. Remember, that was a very surprising flip uh, as signing day closed in 20. He's the class 2020, but he was committed to LSU for a while, then flipped on signing day to Maryland, five-star receiver. Really took people by surprise given where Maryland was at, but Mike Loxley went into Maryland, very highly touted out of Alabama. People thought that was a great hire and he was going to be able to turn things around. And I think we can see that in the offense. And I'm a big fan of Jarrett. And I think the, the big thing for me with Tagovailoa, you know, he's only five foot 11 tall. He does stand in the pocket, does a great job of that. And I think Kirk said this during his Tuesday press conference. He gets out of the pocket. He can run, but he does a great job of keeping his eyes downfield because they are built on explosive plays. I mean, they are going to, no matter what Iowa, how highly touted Iowa's secondary is, how many plays – you know, Riley Moss, Matt Hankins, or any of them made, they're going to take continued deep shots down the field. And I think that that's going to be a big thing to watch. Some big news I thought today, Sean, Mike Loxley met with, you know, the Maryland media today. And leading tackler Brendan Jennings is going to be out for tomorrow. 18 tackles on the year, which is kind of crazy that they played four games. Their leading tackler only is 18. You think about Jack Campbell had 18 last week. Um, but this it's a big hit for that Maryland defense. Obviously, their defensive line is fifth in the country in sacks, 16 on the season. They do a great job of really collapsing the pocket. And Petrus really has not been able to escape the pocket that well this year, throwing on the run. He has, hasn't not been able to reset his feet. So after, I think, a very rough week for the Iowa offensive line, they got no time to sulk. They barely have time to rehab. And it was basically just get back on the practice field and really try to string together some confidence and some consistency because it's not going to surprise me if Maryland brings the heat and brings it often, um, especially after what Iowa did in the rushing game last week, only averaging 1.7 yards per rush on 32 carries. 
Yeah, and Jennings has only played, I think it's 126 snaps. Yeah. While guys like some of them in the secondary have played upwards to two, two tens, two twenty, two thirties, even. So yeah, he's a really efficient player when he's out there. Um, you know, really good with his tackling ability against the run, especially has kind of struggled against the pass. So he's a little bit of a liability there, but it's definitely a definitely a notable loss. But this defense for Maryland has been really impressive this year. When I talked to Jeff Herman of our uh, Maryland site who did the know the foe write up for us. He mentioned that, yeah, this defense has been a surprise and you watch them on film. You can see the havoc that they cause on the defensive line. They like to get to the quarterback. They like to get guys in the backfield. Of course, that's what every defense likes to do, but these guys really seem to make it a priority. And, you know, the way Iowa's offensive line has performed the last couple of weeks, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting matchup. It's very, very much a area of concern, I think. Uh, going into this game I think something else too I know we always talk about their air attack I think you need to mention you know Dante Demas Jr. leads the Big Ten in receiving yards 446 on the year he's just been a constant weapon for them so I think if you're Iowa you are feeling good though from this standpoint the strength of Maryland's offense is without a doubt their passing offense and Iowa's most loaded talented group I think it's the secondary I maybe you could argue linebacker with how Justin Jacobs has played with how Jack Campbell's played but as a unit, the secondary has been the thing that really is, I think, has held Iowa together. So I, I think you like that matchup, especially with the experience that Iowa has. But I, I think you also have to mention Maryland. Is, I don't think they're that big of a threat running the football. But with that being said, uh, Tayon Fleet Davis has 311 yards on only 44 carries. And he's got four touchdowns, seven yards per carry. He's a guy that can really break it out uh, in the open field. And I think that's going to be a big, big point of emphasis as well. I think if you're Iowa, you're feeling good about your defensive line because they've done such a good job of staying in their gaps and allowing guys like Jack Campbell to go make plays. But it's not going to surprise me with Maryland, with their athletes. I really think they're going to try to take a lot of things outside. I know that their offensive line is kind of been shaky shaky for Maryland this season, but I really think that Mike Loxley is going to go into this game saying, hey, look, we're going to swing things outside. We're going to make Jack Campbell, Justin Jacobs, and these guys cover sideline to sideline, which they've been able to do. But you know, for people want to talk about Maryland and what they've done over past years or what they haven't done. There's one thing that they have, Sean, and that's athletes. And I really think they're going to try to utilize that advantage at home in front of probably what's going to be a sold out crowd. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Loxley's been able to recruit. He's been able to use those connections from Alabama and the other stops that he's been and, you know, carry those over to Maryland. And one of the things are you read the preview magazines before the season and all of them mentioned like, yeah, Loxley's done a great job recruiting, but it just hasn't translated. And I know they haven't really played anyone too notable in the first four games, but you know, they, it's starting to translate a little bit. And you can see that with the talent on the football field. I mean, Tildia didn't have the bet his best year last year, but this is the type of year that they expected him to have in this second year. And, you know, now you're seeing that talent come to the table and it's just a matter of molding them and coaching them and, you know, that just seems to be what's going on right now with them. So flipping it over, focusing a little bit more on Iowa, we won't dive too much into Colorado State, but I do think there are some things we need to take away from it. Sean, I think number one is the Iowa deep passing attack. I mean, they finally kind of let it loose. And, you know, talking to players on Tuesday was interesting, and I thought they had a couple of good points. They talked about, you know, we really haven't needed to throw the ball downfield. I know people have been calling for it, but when you build leads against Indiana, when you build a lead against Iowa State, People just are thinking, hey, 
the team's thinking, hey, we don't need to throw the ball downfield. Why do we need to take these risks if we're up by double digits? And I think that's a fair point. I think they maybe could have against Kent State, but I think Kent State, what they did interception-wise through their first couple of games, they really didn't want to let it loose. And I really think that, you know, once Iowa's backs got up against the wall, they, they did let it go. And I think Petrus, he really impressed me just as far as his precision. At the end of the day, Sean, I think if Spencer sets his feet and he gets a clean pocket, he can make those throws. I mean, I think he proved that on Saturday. Like, I know it's against Colorado State. Some people may want to brush it off. But you can't throw the ball much better than he did on Saturday as far as deep. I think he went four of six. There's one incompletion down that right side. I can't remember who he was targeting. But I looked at that. I think the guy it just went off his hands or he had a foot out of bounds or something. But I looked at that throw and I said, you know what? You can't do any better than that. He put his guy in a position to succeed, and it happened. So I think you, if you're Iowa, you're feeling good like, hey, maybe teams aren't going to load nine, 10 guys in the box because I think that's also been an issue for the Iowa run game. It hasn't been perfect, but now there's more stuff on film that they can maybe translate. And uh, I think we need to talk about this too, Sean, Keegan Johnson. I mean, how many, how many articles do we write preseason and spring about, you know, hey, we're here and he's looking good. We watched him. He's looking good. Highly touted receiver. Plays 11 snaps, has 92 yards and a touchdown and a 49-yard catch. I mean, he – he looks like a guy where if he gets a clean release on this uh, on a defensive back, you know, Spencer's going to be looking for him downfield. Yeah, and I think one of the things that when you talk about Keegan and Johnson in high school, you know, you talk about just him being able to produce. And you never really mentioned his speed because it's not like, you know, it was overly elite. But he had, you know, as a crisp route runner, uh, great ball skills, you know, all those typical things that you say when describing a wide receiver. But his top end speed on – Saturday was really impressive. I mean, I don't remember him really having a great release at the line of scrimmage. He just used his speed to beat the guys. And, you know, that's pretty impressive. I know Colorado State isn't going to have the uh, caliber of defensive backs that the Big Ten does, especially Maryland. But, you know, it was really impressive to see how he beat those guys down the field. And, you know, if he can be that vertical threat for Iowa in the passing game, then that just opens so many more doors. And, you know, I felt like even Kirk – seemed more confident in the vertical downfield sack after that game too. He kind of just said like, it was good. It was good for everyone's confidence in like the most Kirk Ferentz way of saying it, just like we, we feel good about it. And, you know, that's, that's something that you, that you have to, you have to have, especially in the big 10. I mean, and especially with the running back like Tyler Goodson, who, you know, really thrives on create getting in space and, you know, getting into those open parts of the field, because if you have that passing game, then that opens up those different areas for the running backs to flourish. And that's where Goodson's at his best. So, yeah, I mean, if they can get that going against Maryland too, that would be a big plus as well, because Maryland's got a couple of big uh, key secondary guys that are really talented. I think, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to really like analyze Keegan's second Long throw. I thought the first one, I thought he had a clean release, but like you said, I think the top end speed, it wasn't a, a great of enough release to totally throw off the defensive back. It probably put him a half step behind and then Keegan took off. And like you said, I don't remember, you know, looking at his film from high school, not that he was slow by any means, but he's not a guy you're like, he's a blazer. He's going to absolutely torture you over the top. And I, I, he, I think he did look faster than I thought on Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see him, going forward, how they continue to utilize him. I liked how Iowa threw the ball around. I mean, getting Nico Regani involved, I thought was good. They're going to need to continue to integrate Tyrone Tracy because I still think – I'm still waiting for a game, Sean. I, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. I'm still waiting for a game where Tyrone just goes absolutely crazy because I think it is going to happen this year. 
Uh, I'm talking maybe in crazy by, by Iowa standards, but like, you know, 110 yards, a touchdown, maybe as close to a second one that helps set up Iowa for a touchdown. He, he's got that capability. I'm sort of waiting for him to have that breakout game. Sam Laporta, love that 27-yard touchdown call they had. It was kind of a trick play. I mean, you're not going to get any more open than Sam Laporta was on that touchdown. So I thought that was a really good call. And like you said, I think with Tyler Goodson, he even said, yeah, you know, I think if we can open up the passing game, it's going to give teams different looks and it's going to be able to open up the box and stuff for us. And I think the thing after talking to Kirk and talking to a lot of the offense, I don't think they believe there's anything wrong with the scheme. And I'm kind of in that same boat as far as running the football. I mean, Sean, we've sat next to each other in the booth and we'll see plays sort of develop and you and I will look over at each other and say, if he would have hit that block, that that's going another at least six, seven yards. If that would have just, if he would have hit the hole quicker, not danced around, that would have went for another four or five. Like there's just tiny miscues from the offensive line or the running backs or just in general. And I think that's what's really thrown off the running game more than the actual scheme itself. And I think that um, just with the young offensive line and those guys, I think it's going to continue to get better, but the competition is going to get ramped up and, you know, to be quite frank, Sean, they really don't have much more time to get better because this Friday is going to be a big game. And obviously, even win or lose for Iowa next week, like this weekend, next weekend is going to be at like a, an absolutely massive game as far as Iowa's Big Ten West oper- like chances, even though they're both Big Ten East opponents. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And, you know, these are the types of games that you have to win. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people expected Maryland to be this dangerous this year, but you know, just looking at the schedule, like this is the type of game that Maryland wants Iowa to come to College Park. It's Friday night. You know, Maryland's just outside the top 25. A lot of momentum in that program. Iowa comes into a 4-0, kind of, you know, not necessarily blowing other teams out of the water in the first, in their last two games, but, you know, doing enough to win. And Maryland seems to feel good about this game. I I went over to a couple of the message boards and, you know, looked at them and was like, wow, like they seem really confident. And, you know, you don't see that out of Maryland football much. So, yeah, Friday night's going to be a big test. I think you look at key games during a season, during a very successful season, when the season concludes, you look back and you're like, okay, this is one of those games where, you know, things went in a good way or a bad way. I'm not saying if Iowa loses that the season's over, but I think if Iowa wins, that could do a lot for, you know, the confidence of this team. I would be more worried about Iowa had they lost or, I mean, had they blown out Colorado State. Because then I think you're thinking yeah. they might look ahead. But if Colorado State wasn't a wake-up call for this team, I don't know what's going to be. Because Colorado State should have been – I mean, they should have been blown out. And that's not that's not an, a shot against them at all. They were up at the half. They did some things well. Trey McBride, by the way, I thought he, he's a first-round pick. He, I thought he looked great against Iowa. I was really impressed with him. So I'd be more worried about Iowa had they, you know, blown out the other team. But I will say this, you know, it's a hot topic still. It was a hot topic at halftime. But, Sean, everybody wanted to bench Spencer Petrus on Saturday, and it really did not make much sense to me. It, it really didn't because I, I think people are so used to blaming Spencer for whatever happens with Iowa football that it's just, it becomes customary. It's become a regular thing at this point. I mean, I had people on my mentions talking about if Spencer had thrown the ball better downfield to Keegan Johnson on that second pass, he would have scored a touchdown. Like, what are we talking about? They're blaming, they blame Spencer 
while the team's averaging 1.7 yards a rush against a bad Colorado State team. Like, the, people have got to be smarter than that. Look, I don't think it was a great play-calling game by Brian Ferentz. The O-line, I mean, Sean, the pro, I, you, you did the story on this. The pro football focus grades for the offensive line were, what, abysmal at best for everybody yeah. across the board? They were not very good. I mean, people got to take into account these things. And I thought, I mean, Spencer, I think, was Iowa's highest or second highest grade player on pro football focus. And he was throwing the ball downfield to accuracy. So you can't blame that. You can't want to bench a guy that you've been calling for 18 months to like at least over a year and a half or whatever to throw the ball downfield. He finally does it. And then you want to bench him, even though he's completing his passes and the team's averaging 1.7 yards a rush. It, It didn't make sense to me. I think. If anything, I don't think the leash was short on Spencer Petras at all. It got even, it got much longer based on his performance on Saturday, as far as the coach's point of view. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you said, and I think, you know, you you hit it on the head there where you said that you know people are so used to those struggles last year and you know being pessimistic about it that they don't really realize what he's done this year. And obviously, that interception that he had was a very weird play concept and just a very odd play in general, but take away that play. And I don't think you can really knock him for what he's done this year because he's been very good. And, you know, he's what you asked for now, you know, you'd like to put the ball in the end zone a couple more times and, you know, maybe be a little more successful in the red zone. But I think with what he's done, you can't complain about that because it's efficient. It's doing what he needs to do you know, like across the middle, I think between the numbers, he has a completion percentage of like 80 or something like that in between like zero and 15 yards, zero and 10 yards. And now, you know, a lot of those weren't for big gains, but you know, what are you going to do? You got to, you know, move the ball down the field. But now with, you know, if he can get that going over the top, if he can get that deep ball going, if he can get that deep ball working, then you're looking at a very good Big Ten quarterback and a potential for an offense to really, you know, steadily improve, which is what you need to do, which is what Iowa needs because that's what it's missing right now. It's missing that consistent offense. It's missing that deep play threats. I mean, we saw doses of on Saturday, but, you know, it takes 21 days to build a habit. Of course, they're working on it, but until they do it consistently and successfully, then, you know, how, how much can you really consider it um, a part of the offense? I'll say this too. I meant to bring this up, you know, when I just spoke, but Kirk Ferentz said this week that last week was the best. I think he said one of the better weeks as far as downfield passing. And it just translated on Saturday. You know, they they said there were plays that they execute throughout the week, but then they just missed it on Saturday. And he said, look, like at the end of the day, we have to be able to execute on Saturdays. And we've heard Kirk talk about, well, we did this play in practice. It didn't work, but they ran it Saturday and it did work. I mean, I hate to use the Kirkism, it, that's football like that is just what happens in football but I, I like what you said about Spencer I do think people need to ease up on to some extent I think the the main root of the problems right now with this Iowa offense I, I think Brian Brian Ferentz either just at, calls beautiful play calls puts together series where you're like okay this Iowa offense is really looking sharp they're really moving and then there'll be a quarter or a quarter and a half where you're sitting there like what are they doing? There's just no, there's no concept to what they're trying to establish. There's just like dead plays before the balls even snapped and the offensive line. We've talked about it all season. The defensive line has been way better, not way, probably way better than I thought. 
I didn't think they'd be awful, but I didn't think they'd be what they are. I think Lucas Van Ness could be a freshman All-American by the end of the year with based on what he's been doing. He's been very impressive. I think Kelvin Bell deserves a lot of credit. Jaden Neiman deserves a lot of credit and those young guys for stepping up. Uh, and, and probably Zach Van Valkenburg, just the leadership on the edge. I mean, he's been really looked at as the face of that room and he's, you know, get, been given a lot of credit by some of these other guys. So I think you got to look at that as well. But if Brian can continue to develop as a play caller, I know people are frustrated with him, but the Iowa offensive line and the play calling for Iowa's offense is going to dictate where this team goes. Because I think Spencer at this point has proven he has what it takes to be a winning quarterback because all you have to do is look at the numbers. One interception in six games. So, uh, Sean, we'll, you know, let's dive into our predictions and our keys to the game. And then we're, we're going to talk some Iowa basketball. It's been a while. Iowa media day is coming up on October 11th. There's been, you know, Josh Dix is committed. Uh, there's been a lot of things going on. The schedule got released. So we'll dive into that. But, Sean, give me one key on offense, one key on defense, then give me your final score prediction. Um, offensively, I think it's just going to be, like we said before, getting the pass game going. But, I think it all starts with the offensive line, you know, containing the guys on the edge, not allowing that pass rush to, you know, have an impact, as much of an effect as it had in the last couple of weeks, um, especially with the way that Petrus is in the pat when the pocket's clean and when it's not. Um, so definitely offensive line, defensive line, it's, you know, staying on top of those receivers, not allowing them to get behind you and not allow, allowing them to make big plays. That's, you know, always a focus for Iowa and they do a good job of that, but it's going to especially be important against this Maryland team score prediction. I'm going to go Iowa 21, Maryland 17. I don't think the 25 point streak is snapped. You know, I, I tweeted this earlier and it's an interesting thing to me, Sean. I don't know if it's an upset anymore. If, if Maryland wins, like it's never, I mean, you can't deflate a top five team that loses uh, anywhere because a huge win for whatever program it is or whatnot. But it really feels like the tide has turned from, okay, Iowa's going to win. And, and now it feels like every national pundits picking, picking Maryland ups at Iowa. And that's, it's intriguing to me. And I will say, you know, for as much as Iowa likes to shut out the noise, you know, it creeps in the locker room. You know, the coaches are aware of that. You know, they're going to use that to fire up their guys. I mean, that's just the reality of locker room culture. So offense, I'm going to say get Tyler Goodson going, uh, you know, with Brandon Jangs out in the middle and, you know, this Maryland defense in the run can be kind of, you know, leaky at times. I'd really like to see Tyler get going. I think they can establish the run. That's going to open up one-on-one -on -one opportunities downfield in the past game. And I think Tyler's due for kind of one of those, breakout games against a big 10 or power five opponent because this is not a guy that's really silenced for that long and not that he's had a bad year by any means because three of his i think five touchdown runs have been of 35 yards or more but i think we're gonna see a little bit more of a consistent tyler goodson there i think that's a big thing defense i'm gonna say keep tiger below in the pocket i think he's most dangerous when he gets out of the pocket and he really looks downfield because he, he can do a little bit of damage as a runner. He's not like an Adrian Martinez or anything like that, but he can pick up some crucial first downs on the ground. But if Iowa's defense collapses when he goes outside the pocket, you know he's going to trust his receivers to go make a one-on-one -on -one play downfield. So I think keeping Tagovailoa in the pocket and being patient uh, in that. And I'm going to go Iowa. I'm going to go Iowa 30, and I'm going to go Maryland 20. I don't think the 25-point streak is snapped. I don't, I'm not really sold on this Maryland team and a few other facets. I think Tiger Valoa's numbers are not inflated because I think he's deserved all the hype he's gotten. And I think the receivers are legit. 
I don't trust that defense right now. And I'm saying that as a defense that's about to face off against Iowa's offense. But I would be – I'm not going to be shocked if Maryland wins, but I think it's almost a too perfect of a recipe for an upset, which is why I'm picking Iowa. If Again, if Iowa had blown out Colorado State, my tune might be different. But I think the team's going to come out ready to go. And the reality is, Sean, I think Iowa's won their last seven Friday night games. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. They know how to prepare for a short week, and uh, I think they'll get it done. So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back talking Iowa basketball. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So, Sean, a lot of news on the basketball front. I mean, we've been in the swing of football season. You know, we've been really keeping up. We still keep up with basketball news on the site, but there's been so much to talk about. We haven't brought it up on the podcast, but. You know, with media day, I think around the corner, it's about time we at least dive into a few of the details uh, surrounding this Iowa team. I think there's a lot of excitement and a lot of intrigue about this team, but I don't know exactly what the expectations are from the public. I've seen a variety of opinions. I know I got my own. I think it's going to be a very fun team to watch. I think it's going to be a different team to watch, but I think there's some key storylines we need to talk again to. I think Keegan Murray, Obviously, he's going to be the focal point of this team. Probably one of the better two-way players in, in the Big Ten, if not the country, as far as what his expectations are going into next year. He's a guy who's they've talked about, you know, potentially moving up to be a lottery pick, which is wild for a guy who went to a post-grad school. Remember, he went to DME Academy. I know you documented that very, very well on HawkeyeInsider.com. But we're going to see a lot of guys take a big step forward. I mean, I think, I think Chris Murray's going to surprise some people. I hope people don't hold him to the same expectation as Keegan. But Chris Murray, I think, is going to be a big contributor on this team and make a big difference. And then, obviously, they got the transfer, Philip Robracha from North Dakota. But, you know, Jordan Bohannon coming back for his 19th year in an Iowa uniform, play, moving to that two-guard spot, Joe Toussaint moving to that one, uh, the starting point guard role. It, uh, Sean, I guess let's just, let's just banter about it because I think there's just a lot to really dissect about this team, and it's crazy – how one year is going to make this much of a difference as far as style and everything surrounding this Iowa team. Yeah, it's definitely going to be, it's definitely going to be different. Um, And like you said, Dave, I really don't know what to expect. Obviously we've heard stuff from, you know, Fran, we've heard stuff from, uh, um, you know, those inside the program off the record, just like normal talks, like talking with people and, you know, there's, there's a lot of just like, we really don't know at this point. I think Fran likes this team. He mentioned it before. I think he likes his team. I think he likes the versatility they can play with. I think he likes the athleticism. Um, obviously, it's going to be different from a scoring perspective. I think this team will probably be, or it needs to be, one of Fran's best defensive teams at Iowa because of the lack of scoring and the lack of proven scores. Now, I think Keegan Murray's going to be really good. I think Patrick McCaffrey is going to step up. I think Philip Robracha, you know, will will have a big role. Um, but, you know, you just never really know. And that's kind of the thing with this team. I think as the season goes on, they're going to get better and better. But it's just like this year, it's like, what 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 do you expect? I'm, I'm thinking like, 
I've always said if they're 10th or 11th in the NCAA tournament, that is a really good year considering what we know coming into the season. I'm kind of in that same boat. And, you know, Sean, I'll be frank. I've been surprised that they've been projecting the NCAA tournament as much as they have. Not, yeah, not that I think, again, I don't think this seems to be a bad team. I think the Big Ten's going to be loaded. I will say, I think there's going to be a big, big drop off between 13th and 14th in the Big Ten and the top 12. Because I, I think Minnesota, like, I don't know anything about Minnesota this year. I don't even know if they have enough players to field a team at this point. They're a, they're a transfer. They're a transfer all-star team. Yeah. Minnesota, a, a state of Minnesota <laughs> transfer all-star team is how yeah. I describe it. And it's, that's going to be really, you know, weird, but intriguing. I, I, I don't not buy Northwestern. I think Nebraska is going to be a lot better this year Yeah, uh, with what they got five-star guard. But like you said about this Iowa team, I mean, the reality is a big factor is going to be can Patrick McCaffrey, Keegan, and Chris Murray shoot the three as far as the offense goes? Because I think, you know, you got Jordan Bohan. I think Jordan Bohan's going to be in total let it fly mode this year. He's, I mean, he's going to shoot. He's going to absolutely obliterate the Big Ten three point record. That's never going to be touched ever. Like, that's going to be absolutely unbreakable. I think what he's going to do this year, I'd be shocked if he didn't have 90 to 100 threes at least this season. Um, if he can stay healthy, Iowa gets Connor McCaffrey back. We'll see what happens with Joshua Gundele and Riley Mulvey. I don't know if Riley Mulvey is going to get the minutes that they've talked about. I'm not ready to go that far yet. I know Fran said, you know, he might play about 10 minutes a game, but Sean, this is a kid that should be in high school still. He should be a senior this year. I think that's a very, very big ask to throw him in, even for 10 minutes a game. I mean, can you imagine Riley Mulvey again, a senior guy still trying to put on strength and transform his body going up against Kofi Coburn? I mean, that's just not fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a tall order for anybody. Um, and, and Joe Toussaint, Joe, the starting point guard for Iowa has to be able to shoot the three. There's so many things that are fun, that's fun about Joe Toussaint, whether it be on defense, he, you know, he can obviously drive, he can finish around the rim, he can get guys involved. I think we saw him take a big step forward at the end of last year. But if Connor McCaffrey and Joe Toussaint are on the floor at the same time, all five guys are going to be inside the paint or uh, just, yeah. they're not going to be guarding the perimeter at all. They're going to be challenging them. So Joe Toussaint and Connor McCaffrey for that matter, they have to be able to step out and hit the three. I think defensively, I think this is a chance for a team, you know, to be one of Fran's best defensive teams. I think there's a lot of athleticism there. I think there's a lot of upside if they can master the rotations and if they can continue to, you know, do man up, man to man, if they can switch to different types of zones and if they're comfortable doing that, I think that'll be a big thing, but I'm worried about the perimeter shooting and I'm worried about rebounding because I think Iowa, they have the athleticism, they got a lot of length, but they lack pure size. I mean, you know, Luca, I think has covered up a lot of, you know, faults for this team on both, even both ends of the court. I know, again, I was never been a great defensive team and Luca was never the most elite defender, but Luca still covered up a lot of things with his rebounding and everything. So, again, yeah. fun, fun, but a lot of question marks. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, I think that's where we see a guy like Peyton Sanford maybe have a bigger role this year yeah. because the true freshman from Waukee, because, you know, <laughs> but who, who can really shoot consistently? I've heard from a number of people that Peyton has been by far the most consistent shooter throughout the se- throughout the offseason you know, into the preseason and everything, like even starting like the first practice, like he's been shooting the ball really well. And, you know, defensively, that was a big concern. Defense coming in 
was a big concern for him. And, you know, yeah. being athletic enough, sliding your feet, just like being quick enough for the Big Ten. I know it's the bully, the football, the it's like the Big Ten football basketball conference where, you know, it's a lot of like, you know, just football contact, everything, but volleyball. Yeah. That's one way of putting it. Um, But, you know, still you got to have guys who can defend multiple spots. You got to have quickness on the floor and, you know, Peyton, great shooter, great scorer, but a big knock on him coming in was his foot speed and, you know, his athleticism. He's gotten better at that. He's gotten really good at that from what I've heard or not really good, but I think he's gotten a lot better from that of that. And, you know, that could get him 10 to 15 minutes a game because of the way he can shoot. And, you know, Iowa needs shooting. Fran McCaffrey wasn't shy in saying that the other day. They need shooting, and Peyton can bring that. I think him, Keegan, and Jordan can be really key pieces for their team with that shooting ability. And I also – I think Tony Perkins, too, I could see him having yeah. a bigger role this year. I'm very, very interested to see how him and J-Bo split up uh, minutes because I don't think you can really put – I mean – you could put them on the floor at the same time, but then you'd have to slide Perkins to the three. And while he can guard that three spot, I think he's a little undersized to play it, you know, constantly. Unless you're going to throw J-Bo at the one, but Franz basically said he's been yeah. exclusively at the two to the joy of a bunch of Iowa fans. And again, I get that to some extent, but this is the program's leading all-time assister. I mean, there's still got to be a little, a little bit of a level of respect there. But Sean, I'll say this too. Peyton Sanford looks a lot stronger than I thought he'd be coming into this season. I mean, he is, I think, significantly bulked up over the course of summer conditioning, at least from the photos that, that I've seen. And I think that was going to be a big thing for me. You know, he's what, a legit six foot eight. You've interviewed yeah. him, six foot eight. Yeah. I mean, he, when he got to Iowa this off season, I mean, I thought there's no way he's going to be able to guard bigger guys. They're just what they were going to absolutely try to get him in the post. They're going to bully him, but he does look stronger. Now there still needs to be experience. There's got to be reps. There's got to be practice there, but he looks stronger. And, and at some point, too, like I said, Iowa needs shooters. And, yeah, the defense and the foot speed may be a knock on him. But if you got four other guys that are athletic enough and can switch around like that, you got to be able to take that exchange for some sort of offensive firepower. I think it it's kind of the opposite of what we talked about last year. You know, Iowa has too much firepower. They might want to take a guy off the bench like a Tony Perkins who's better defensively and throw him in. Yeah, they'll take a step back offensively, but it does help change the defensive dynamic. This year, it's the opposite. So that might be a way that Peyton does get on the floor. And I think yeah, I think you could go a lot of ways with X factors, but I think at the end of the day, I it feels weird saying this because, like, I yeah, Keegan's the headliner, quote-unquote, but there's really no true superstar on this Iowa team. So I think the most important thing and the best thing for this Iowa team to do is for everybody to play their role. And I know how boring and how cliche that sounds, but we really haven't had to say that about an Iowa team, at least since I started covering the team officially, because they've had a Luca Garza, they've had a Tyler Cook, they've had, you know, these big headline caliber guys this year. And I want to say it's more of a team concept, but in some ways, Sean, it kind of is. Yeah, it is for sure. And, you know, that, that could be good. That could be bad, but it's just going to be different. You know, it's going to be very different to see, how, how this team goes about it. And I think Fran has kind of done a good job preaching that too. And I think this team really does a good job of buying into that. I've heard that the chemistry is really good still. Like, you know, even without some of those guys from last year, that the chemistry is really good. The guys get along um, off the court, on the court, and, you know, work well together. And, you know, that's about what you could – that's all you could ask at this point. And, you know, it's going to be a fascinating season. I'm really looking forward to media day to be able to talk to the players in person and kind of pick their brains with everything. 
And it'll be interesting too. And I mean, we'll talk a little bit of women's basketball down the road too, because Caitlin Clark and what she's done and the team's going to be top 10 hanging into the year. Uh, but Sean, let's dive into a little bit of the 2022 recruiting class because we haven't really dissected it on the podcast yet. I think a lot to like. Uh, only two commits right now, but getting DeSante Bowen on deck, I thought was absolutely massive. I know we've talked about him a little bit, but then landing their top target in Josh Dix out of Council Bluffs. I think he's been one of the, you know, high risers from at least from, you know, our 24-7 sports national analyst, Eric uh, Bossy. He's been a huge fan of his game. I mean, I think Josh Dix is uh, 150, ranked 150th in the latest 247 rankings, which is a, a big deal. And I think he's impressed a lot of people. I mean, this is a guy that I think can come in. I don't want to say play right away, but you talk about a very good system player that's a very good shooter and a good athlete that can do a lot of different things on the floor. I, I think I think Josh Dix has a good ceiling, Sean, but I think more importantly, to some extent, I think he's got a high floor. Like, I think yep. he's going to be a guy that's going to contribute. Yeah, most definitely. That's a good way of putting it. I, I totally agree with you with the high floor comment. And, you know, it was interesting because I was at one of Dix's tournaments in April, I think, in Omaha, and I was watching and I was like, wow, this could be a really good fit in the Big Ten. Turns out a couple weeks later, he gets a Big Ten offer and he gets another one. And then Iowa comes around. And I remember asking a few people around that. I'm like, hey, like, is Iowa really involved here? And they're like, no, not really right now. But, you know, they've always been hanging around here and there, shown interest since his freshman season. I remember talking to um, Council Bluffs Lincoln head coach Jason Isaacson back in 2018, being like, hey, because Iowa was recruiting another kid from there at that time. And um, I was like, hey, like, you got any, anyone else like coming? Um, and he's like, you got to keep an eye on this kid, Josh Dix. He is going to be very good. And to see all that come full circle was really cool. And, um, yeah, he's a guy that you can put in that one through three spot. I know Iowa's taught to him more about a Joe Wieskamp type. Mm -hmm. And you look at Dix and you're kind of like, Joe Wieskamp's more of six, 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 seven. But you got to remember, Josh is a little bit above six, five. He's had a pretty deep growth spurt. Um, in the last couple of uh, years. And, you know, that's really helped his game. He's always been a scorer, has really improved as an athlete. You know, I hate to say it, but quarantine was really good for him because he was able to get in the weight room. He was able to improve things athletically, you know, do a lot of really good things to help get to where he's at now. And he's just a really consistent and strong player. Can do almost everything on the court. He can rebound well for his position. You know, he can guard multiple spots. Uh, he can shoot the basketball. He can finish at the rim. And, you know, he can handle the ball, too. Sometimes, you know, Isaacson said that maybe sometimes he was a little too passive. But then as he's gotten older, that he's really started to, you know, take head on and be kind of that number one guy and be that priority guy. Um, you know, whether that be scoring or creating for others, he just got the total package. And, yeah, I mean, who knows with the big senior season? Who know? I think he could challenge for a top 100 status. I really do. I really think he's a really impressive player and, you know, a really good fit for Iowa. Iowa did a fantastic job in that recruitment, made him a big priority. You know, I, I talk, whenever I talk with recruits, one of the big things that they say is the, the chemistry of the team is what sold, sells them on Iowa. Just the guys are so welcoming and so just like just bond with each other. And Josh fits right into that. And, you know, from an on-court perspective, talked about him a bit. But, you know, I think he's a perfect complementary piece to, you know, whether that be DeSante Bowen, Aaron Euless, or even yeah. Joe Toussaint for, you know, one or two years as, as long as Toussaint stays. So, 
you know, there's there's a lot to work with there, and especially with Bowen. We've talked about him a lot too. He's going to be a really good piece as well. Just needs to limit turnovers a little bit. Um, good scoring guard, slasher, can create, um, you know, push the ball in transition. You know, plays a little too fast sometimes, but, you know, that's something that he'll work on. And, you know, he's a perfect fit for what Fran McCaffrey wants to do. I I can't really remember as well-rounded of a point guard in the McCaffrey era. I mean, obviously you look at Mike Giselle, but, you know, with Bowen's quickness and just his ability to get to the rim, I can't really think of one. His, yeah. flush, his shooting ability, too, is really good. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think you could have asked for a better class right now if you're Iowa. Obviously, you would have liked to hit on a guy like Jackson Kohler, but – I think with the roster makeup, if you bring back most of your guys next year, you know, you're adding really two two really good pieces in Bowen and Dix that I don't know, I don't want to say big contributors right away, but I think they can make a case for it. I think Bowen's going to be hard to keep off the floor. Because, I mean, like you said, I know Iowa's got Aaron Euless. Like, it'll be an uphill climb for sure. But I, I, I'm i a huge fan of DeSante Bowen. Like you said, I think he's got limited turnovers a little bit. I know that's why his ranking fell a little bit in the latest 24-7 sports update. With that being said, though, too, you talk about perfect fit from a schematic standpoint. I mean, Bowen nails that. I mean, Fran would much rather take a guy who plays too fast and teach him to slow it down a little bit and let the game come to him rather than take a slower half-court-based uh, point guard and then try to speed him up. Because yeah, I think I, there's a lot more wiggle room with for, for Fran there. I think it's an easier transition for the guards to be able to come in and do that. Yeah, and I think you're seeing that with Joe Toussaint now, or at least that's the hope coming into this year because I mean he he had a couple of stretches where you know he plays way too fast but other times where you know he seems more calm just seems more compact and he does really good things and I'm saying Bowen's a more well-rounded offensive player than Tucson yeah. is but you yeah. know I think you're getting similar qualities in that like in that regard and I'll say this too I, I wish I had the stats in front of me Sean but remember I think the late January, early, maybe it was mid Feb, early February, mid February there was like a five game stretch six game stretch for Joe Toussaint played what 20 minutes at total like he didn't play much at all and then people were like you know what happened to Joe T what's been going on we talked about his turnover rate that was high and we talked about how you know with with the way Iowa plays defense they can't afford to turn the ball over and right now Joe Toussaint is just more of a liability from that standpoint but I think over the last month of the season I thought he played very very well and I think that that confidence is something that's going to transition over into this year because you remember Jabo we talked to Jaybo. He said, you know, my first call when I decided to come back was to Joe Tucson. I said, hey, this is your team. Like, I'm going to play the off guard. This I want you to run the show. And I think that's something that, you know, Tucson's really, really embraced. So it, it, it'll it be interesting. I think Iowa's still going to play as much fast pace. I mean, Fran's offensive mind as far as sets go, especially out of bounds sets, I think he's one of the best offensive coaches in the country. Just, I mean, the, the stats in the field goal percentage and the good shot quality and everything like that does not lie. But I think this team from a defensive standpoint just has a higher ceiling. And I'm, again, I, I don't know where this team's going to finish. I think if they can finish, what, Sean, eighth in the Big Ten, that's a pretty good year considering, you know, just how many question marks there is going into this year. And again, I think there's a clear top five in, in the Big Ten, maybe top six. I mean, look at what, Purdue, Michigan, Michigan State. I mean, these, you know, these, these Purdue's going to be a dog this year. And I'll say this, when you look at Iowa's schedule, that uh, I think the opening six-game stretch is pretty, pretty, pretty ridiculous. So it's going to be a lot of guys, younger guys, 
welcome to Big Ten. Grow up quick because it's going to do them absolutely no favors right when they kick things off. Yeah, Illinois is going to be good. I think Indiana could have a sneaky good year yeah, Indiana, uh, with the yeah. new staff, with the new staff that they have and the guys that they added. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be another fun year in the Big Ten for sure. I'm very fascinated to see how this Iowa team pans out, especially with the uh, the difference in, you know, personnel from last, from a year ago. And, you know, in every team, Fran McCaffrey's there. It's going to be it's going to be a fun team to watch. I'm looking forward to it. And I'll say this, too. I talked about that tough kind of opening stretch. So Iowa, you know, they they play, they got, you know, NC Central, they have Western Michigan, Portland State, but then they go at Virginia, at Purdue, and then they host Illinois. I mean, that's that is an absolutely brutal, you know, three-game stretch for that young of a team. And I think I think that could play dividend, pay dividends later on in the Big Ten season. But uh I, I think we're gonna learn more about this Iowa team fairly quickly. So We'll dive into a lot more of that. We'll talk a little bit next week about it. But, you know, regardless of how the game goes this weekend, Sean, I think it's going to be an absolutely loaded week as far as content-wise and as far as hype goes because if Iowa wins this weekend and they host Penn State next weekend, I mean, buckle up. It's going to be a it's going to be a wild ride because if Iowa beats, you know, Maryland, they beat Penn State, I think there's going to be no more questions about where this Iowa team could potentially go this year. So we'll keep you – Locked in at HawkeyeInsider.com. 7 p.m. tomorrow, we'll have our preview piece up with our uh, final predictions and keys to the game on HawkeyeInsider.com tomorrow morning, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Be sure to follow us at David Eichel, at SBOC247, and at and at Hawkeyes on 247 on Twitter. Sean, any, uh, any final parting comments before we close this out? Nope. This weekend should be, uh, should be good. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to tomorrow's matchup, and then some afternoon high school football in the state of Illinois. So looking forward to it. Be nice to kind of kick back on a Saturday though, too. Yeah. yeah I was thinking about kicking back and then I was kind of like, uh, you know what? Might as well just do whatever, like just go. Well, I thought you were going to do your, uh, do your white Sox play though this weekend. Yeah. I'm going on Sunday to the game, but it's supposed to rain. So who knows? And yeah, October is going to be a crap shoot. That's going to be one of the most stressful, months i have ever on top of like work stuff and like white Sox baseball playoffs it's gonna be a mess but uh we'll keep you updated there and be sure to follow sean twitter to you know follow along with what his mental state's like as far as october i don't i don't think i'm gonna be able to use twitter as an outlet for this stuff (laughs) i'm i'm a little i don't I don't want people to think differently of me um, from what they already know, because I think they will. If they see me, if you guys see me in person, Iowa City at one of the bars, like, yeah, come say hi or something. But just know it's not going to be fun. It'll be fun for everybody else. Yeah. Holy cow. (laughs) All right, guys, we'll talk to you. I'll talk to you tomorrow night after Iowa's game against Maryland. Thanks.